worthy. You don't have to wait till Sunday to magnify the Lord because he's worthy all the time. Amen. Well, we're going to just, you can be seated. Thank you for standing. Thank you for worshiping tonight. What a good spirit that we feel uh, in the house of God. And we're going to look at several uh, scripture passages today. And uh, we're going to, we're going to do it throughout the lesson. And I'm not going to talk a long time tonight, but uh, I do, I do have a, a burden on my heart for this service. And we're in the last Wednesday of our Building the Kingdom series. And I think it's important that we come back to this theme uh, as often as we can uh, without exhausting it too much. And I know that if we're not careful, we can become weary uh, of the subject. But really, we're talking about, about revival. Sometimes we call it revival. Sometimes we call it evangelism. Of course, we've talked about this before, but we often use the word revival in the wrong way. Uh, I understand why we do it, and, and I'm not being critical of it. But revival, the root word of revival is the word revive. And revive implies that there was life there at one time. And so revival is for the church, those who've been born again, born in the water and in the spirit. And so revival is for the church. Revival is for me and you. And inevitably, if you live for God long enough, you serve God long enough, there'll be dry seasons, there'll be times where you feel lifeless, even in the spirit. And so there are, there are very necessary times where even the, the most committed children of God need to be revived. How many can, can testify that there's been moments in your life when you desperately needed a personal revival? And sometimes we go through that, and it's a very private thing. Sometimes the rest of the church may be alive and well, but you individually need a personal revival. But sometimes corporately churches go through seasons where the, the majority of the congregation needs to have a revival. And, uh, and that's normal. We understand that. But we have to be very careful that we don't allow ourselves to walk through a, a, a time of dryness for too long without seeking after, praying for, and coveting revival. How many know that revival is important and we need it in the church? And we, and we need it in the days that we're living in uh, more than ever before. Uh, I, I, again, I, I don't want to be sensational and I don't want to exploit the news, but uh, I was grieved in my spirit today as I was uh, hearing about all of these young Americans that are that are going to Syria and different places and they're converting to radical Islam and, and they're literally killing people uh, in the name of Allah. And, I, and I, it struck me, I was thinking about this, young people today are desperate for a religion that will impact their lives. And so many people are turning to a cult-like radical Islam and they're committing to something. This is no time for the church to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is no time for us to be ashamed of the fact that every once in a while we're radical about Jesus. How many know that we need to be passionate about the things of God? We don't need to be embarrassed to, to, to realize that Jesus is calling people to, to put down their nets and follow him. It was a radical message that Jesus had when he found his disciples and, and he caught them right in the, they were on the job. 
It was their livelihood. And he said, I want you to forsake your livelihood. Put down your nets right now. Don't wait. Don't go home. Don't, don't do a phone call. I want you to follow me right now. And they did it because they recognized that there was something powerful about Jesus. And we're still preaching the same gospel today. We've got to forsake some things and follow after Jesus. And by the way, the world, especially young people, are hungry for something that will radically transform their lives, something that's bigger than they are. And so this is no time for the church to be ashamed of a radical message. And so that's what we're talking about. Now, often we sometimes refer to revival, maybe evangelism is a better word. And uh, all of those things are important, but we're calling it building the kingdom because that's really what all of those things are. And revival, when the church is revived, sometimes we call it church, church growth, but when the church is revived, there will naturally be growth that comes out of that because when you become passionate about the things of God that passion will become contagious and it and people will sense that and it will impact their lives and so it's very important that uh that we have a a personal revival in our hearts someone said praise the Lord now we're calling that building the kingdom because that's what we're doing and that's what we're focused on and uh, we need to be thinking about that. Now, I believe that everybody who considers themselves a part of the body of Christ, and we touched on this last week, I believe that everyone who is a part of the church needs to be involved, someone said involved, in the kingdom. We all need to be involved in the kingdom in different capacities. And, uh, and I think that the first way that everyone needs to be involved is in the area of personal evangelism. Personal evangelism. Look at your neighbor and say, personal. That's me. Evangelism. Now, there's all kinds of things. I grew up in home missions. Does everybody understand what I mean by home missions? Uh, that's where my, my father, our pastor, uh, who, by the way, Pray for them that they got some good, re well-deserved rest. They really did deserve it. 36 years of marriage, that's a wonderful milestone. And, uh, and we look forward to them being back. But my father started a church, as you know, most of you know, in, on the west side of Chicago. And they went there the year that I was born. I was born there and uh, shortly after they got there. And I grew up in that environment. And literally, there was no church... Uh, for at least at least a, a 60 mile radius, there was no apostolic church, there was no uh, oneness church. Very, really, there weren't any spirit filled churches in that area. Even though the suburb that we we were in, named Wheaton, was a Christian uh, kind of a Christian bastion there. A lot of the uh, famous books are were written out of that area, and a lot of the Christian book publishers are based out of Wheaton. And so dad carved a church out of nothing and, and grew a church out of nothing. And, and so I grew up every Saturday just about on outreach. Anybody remember every Saturday outreach? Anybody ever do that? Where we were going to people's homes, we were knocking on their doors. Even back then, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, it was a little more culturally acceptable to just show up on someone's doorstep. We're kind of living in a, in a world now where people get a little leery when you show up at their doorstep. I know I do. 
And I have one of those houses where there's, uh, it's, the, my whole door is a window, and then I have windows on the side. And I'm um, looking forward to changing that very shortly. But uh, because when you walk up, you just see right into my house. And, uh, and so I get nervous. Sometimes there'll be a stranger standing at my doorstep. And, uh, and my son has, we've been really <laughs> trying to break him of this bad habit. But he doesn't care if he's never seen the person his entire life. One time I was upstairs and I heard the doorbell ring, and I, I heard my son's feet. I mean, he was just as fast as he could get down those stairs. And I'm calling out to him, Talmadge, don't you dare open that door until you know who it is. And I hear the door creak open, and I come down, and he's in a full-blown conversation with a stranger. And you got to know my heart was in my throat because you just don't know these days. And so it's, it's, it's one of those things where evangelism and outreach, or what I sometimes call corporate evangelism, where we go to people's homes, or I, we used to go to the parks, and we still do that. I thank God that this church is a church that, that loves outreach and loves people. We Not long ago, we just did a block party, and, and uh, we gave away food. All of those things are wonderful. I believe they're effective. If nothing else, they keep our minds focused on outreach. How many know that's a good thing to do, to keep your mind focused on outreach? And uh, But... Out of all of those things, and I believe we need to do everything that we can do, send out mailers, uh, knock on people's door, go, go and find people in parks, and whatever we have to do, all of those things are wonderful. But I believe in my experience of a lifetime of evangelism and, and being a part of those kinds of, not just an observer, but participating, what I have found to be the most effective form of evangelism is what I call personal evangelism. Someone said personal. Touch yourself and say, that's me. And so what I mean by that is that naturally throughout the course of your day, you'll have opportunities. I really do believe that you'll have opportunities to reach out to people and impact them for the kingdom of God. Now let's look at Colossians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul here, and verse number 3. And could we read this together? He says, besides praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. Now, hold on. Isn't that powerful? Paul was instructing the church to pray that God would open doors where they could have conversations with people about Jesus. And here he is, he said, for which I am also in bond. So here he is in prison. He doesn't have much of an opportunity to come into contact with people on a daily basis. But he's telling the church, pray that God would open up doors for me and pray that God would open up doors for you. You're going to have more opportunities than I am because you're not in prison. Verse number four, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom towards those who are outsiders. That's an interesting choice of words. Redeeming the time, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. By the way, that's very important in the context of, of evangelism. Your speech needs to be graceful at all times, merciful. You need to be careful. People, your tone, the way you approach people is very important. You cannot win people to God with a confrontational, mean-spirited conversation. Can someone say praise the Lord? An argumentative approach will never win someone to the Lord. Oh, I wish I'd get an amen on that. And so our speech needs to be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. And so we need to be ready to 
have conversations with people about our faith, about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very important. And so Paul is beginning a conversation about personal evangelism where where we need to understand it really is a mindset that we understand that everywhere that we go and everything that we do uh, in, in every walk and situation of life, there are doors that can be open to witness to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is something that for a Christian needs to be in the forefront of our minds throughout the day. And I know that can be difficult sometimes. That's why we have months like August where we call it building the kingdom because we're trying to remind ourselves because day-to-day life, how many are busier than they need to be? I I know that in my life, I'm way too busy. Sometimes I, I uh, I feel convicted almost because I allow life to become so busy that it's easy to forget about what is really important, what really matters. We're all guilty of that. We live in a 24-7 world. There's no such thing as 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. Uh, there's no such thing as, as long, slow summer days sitting on the porch. Maybe for some of you, God bless you, but not for me. We live in a 24-7 world. And, and as much as we, we may want to, we can't escape it. It's the world that we live in. And so it's very important that we cultivate a mindset to where in everything that we do, we have evangelism on our mind. And so what that means is when you're in the grocery store, God may open up a door where you may be able to witness to somebody. I can't tell you in my personal life, uh, just going throughout the natural course of my day, I don't mean that I'm going to someone's house. I'm not looking for people. I'm not even trying to make an effort. Just when I'm going through the course of my day, if I will consciously think, okay, if I cross paths with somebody, Lord, open up a door for me to talk to them about you. I've been in in the doctor's office where I was there because I needed to go to the doctor. And I'm sitting beside someone, and they'll be be obviously upset. and, And I'll realize this is an opportunity where I can begin to speak to them. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the doctor's office or the hospital praying for someone else, and I see somebody who's distraught, and I'll say, hey, uh, can I pray for you right now? Can, Can I tell you about how God healed me in the past? And people are touched in that moment. If you'll consciously look for opportunities that just naturally come your way, you'll be amazed at how many lives you can touch just as you're going throughout the day. On the job, one of the greatest witnesses you can have is just being someone who is thinking about the things of God while you're working. You can minister to people on the job. You can minister to people, your neighbors at the, and the grocery store, all of these things. These are people that we can touch and minister to with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what I'd like to show you here is uh, Genesis chapter 6. Now, I won't read the whole thing, but I, I want to I show you something. Now, one of the reasons that I, I believe that many times we fail to reach out to people as we should is because we often fail to recognize that people are lost, truly lost. Now, I'm going to be a little politically incorrect here, but I do believe that we should be spiritually correct and not politically correct. But I understand because I've, I've felt this myself. It's, it's very burdensome to go through your daily life and look at people 
and recognize that they're lost. Anybody with me tonight? It can be a, it can be a heavy burden. And, and you certainly don't want to have a judgmental mean spirit. But it is important that you cannot have a, an evangelistic mindset and you cannot have the mind of Christ if every once in a while you don't weep for your city, weep for your neighborhood, weep for your family who's lost. Now, I, I'm not saying that you should go around with a sad, heavy, broken countenance. But every once in a while, it, the weight of it should impact you that we are living in a lost world and that there is a very real heaven and a very real hell and that eternity is real. I wish somebody would, would just get on board with this for a moment because you will not feel a passion for reaching your world if you do not recognize that they are lost. Now, here's where we sometimes get messed up because we look at people and we, we, and we see, well, it looks like they've got everything going just fine for them. They, they're one of the friendliest people I know. They seem to really love the Lord. Uh, they, they, they live a fairly moral lifestyle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The person that you look at and they just seem like a nice, just, just a good old boy, just a good person. And if we're not careful, sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that you cannot make it to heaven just because you're a good person necessarily in the in the in the worldly sense of the word now now here we go i'm about to use an extreme example and and i know that it's extreme and i'm going to lose some of you for losing using this example but i'm going to do it anyway and i recognize that not everyone uh who is is not uh saved i recognize they're not all serial killers okay praise the lord Glory to God, but I'm going to use an extreme example to make a, a point. I'll never forget reading an article, uh, is about a year ago, uh, about a, a serial killer. I'm so glad the kids are in Kids Chapel right now. About a serial killer who had, had been active for about 20 years. And, and he lived in a nice neighborhood, and, and he had killed about 30 people in his home. In his home, many of them were buried in his basement. Is this okay? I see some of you are looking at me like, whoa, glory, how did we get there? But here's, but here's, what, here's what caught my attention about that. When, of course, you know, the media is all over that, and, and that becomes a big story. And they interviewed all of his neighbors and, and his wife and and one of the thing that struck me about his neighbors is that they all, every one of them said, that was the nicest person that we knew. We can't believe, it's, we can't even believe that this is possible. Our children uh, went to his house after school before they came home when the bus dropped them off and we weren't home. They, he, he brought our newspaper to, that was the, he went to church. He, he sat on, he was a deacon in our church. The nicest person I knew. And it struck me. See, here's, here's the extreme point that I'm trying to make. Sometimes we measure people in a, in, in a wrong way. We look at outward things, but God looks on the heart. How many know that that's true? You see, without the light of the gospel, the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. And, he, and the light of the gospel pushes against the darkness. Without the gospel, without the Holy Spirit 
operational in our lives. All of us have a darkness somewhere inside of us. Can I just use this expression? There's a monster inside each and every one of us, that flesh nature, that sinful nature, that if it's left unchecked without the Spirit of God, can, can take control of our lives. Maybe, maybe not in an extreme way like that, but you would be surprised how many people that seem like they have it all figured out on the outside, but on the inside there's a darkness that lurks beneath the surface, sometimes that manifests itself in shadowy places that you know nothing about. And so we cannot just assume that just because somebody opens doors and smiles nice and seems to have it all figured out that they're happy and that they're right with God. Every single person, every single person needs to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ without exception. And we have a responsibility, no matter how nice everything seems, on the outside to try to reach people with the gospel. Someone say praise the Lord. All right. Now, here's why I have Genesis chapter 6 up here, and uh, we won't read it, but I've often wrestled with why uh, in the Genesis account, God chose to give us exact specifications of how he told Noah to build the ark. And I, I, I don't believe that anything's in the Bible by accident. I believe that the Bible is infallible and completely inspired. And I believe that every word is God's word. Even the genealogies are inspired and important. I know that gets boring. How many get lost when you're trying to do your yearly Bible reading plan? You get in the genealogies. But the genealogies are important. For one thing, they tell us about the lineage of Jesus Christ, and that's very powerful. It also tells us about the importance of family and ancestry, and all of that's very important. Many other things that come, every word is inspired, even the things that kind of bore us sometimes. And so I've prayed, uh, I've prayed, why, Lord, would you give us the, you know, you could have just said, he built a really, really, really big ark, and that would have sufficed. But, but the Lord, on purpose, showed us about the exact measurements and specifications that he gave Noah. And I believe that it gives us a clue into the very essence and nature and character of who and what God is. How many know that God has what we might sometimes call a personality? That's maybe not the right word, but for our sakes today, uh, God has a character. And I believe that the Bible very clearly bears out in his word that God is a specific God. God is a specific God. He does not do things by accident, and he does not do things in a sloppy fashion. Everything that God does is on purpose. And so it hit me. I believe that the ark in many ways is a type of New Testament salvation, a type of salvation. The ark was built as a vessel of salvation from the judgment of God. How many are thankful that God provides a way of escape even in this New Testament era from sin and from the very fallen nature of mankind? That's, that's the reason that Jesus came. And throughout God's word, we see it bared out that God does not accept substitutes. God has never accepted substitutes. He's always been very specific, even in the sacrifices in the Old Testament. It had to be done a very specific way or God would not receive it. In the story of Cain and Abel, one sacrifice was acceptable and one was not. We begin to see the nature and character of God, that God wants things done his way. And God's God. If God says, I want it this way, it doesn't matter what I think because I'm not God. Praise the Lord. I know that's a revelation for some of you, but none of us are God. 
And so I believe that God is trying to show us, even as early as Genesis chapter 6, that when it comes to salvation, when it comes to escaping the judgment of God, God is very specific about these things. And so when we come to Acts chapter 2, and when they heard this and they're pricked in their hearts, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? You know what they're asking? What can we do to be saved? We realize that we crucified our Savior, and, and it's too late. He's already been crucified. What can we do about it now? And Peter, who had the keys of the kingdom, said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost what was he saying here is the very specific plan of God for your salvation and there is no substitute and let me just say this and I know I'm going to offend somebody tonight but God will not accept a sinner's prayer now I believe it's a great start. I believe that a sinner's prayer is a wonderful start to repentance, and I'm not criticizing anybody's sincerity, but God is specific, and he does not accept substitutes. So if God says you need to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins and that you need to go down in the waters of baptism, then that tells me that God doesn't want me to baptize in just any name. He doesn't want me to do it just any way. He wants me to do it his way. Noah couldn't just build the ark and use any old wood. God wouldn't say, okay, you can use gopher wood or pine wood or you can use a different kind of pitch or just make it any size, leave a hole there. If, if he wouldn't have done it exactly like God said, that thing would have sunk and they would not have been saved. And so when it comes to modern day salvation, we need to be very careful that we are following the pattern that God has laid out. Why are you saying that? What, Brother French, why are you saying this? We all believe that because I want you to understand that just because you did it, you need to believe that everybody needs to obey the specific plan of the gospel and so you need to be thinking of that when you're going through your day and you're coming into contact with people who have not been obedient to the plan of salvation and you have a responsibility to tell them what they need to do to be saved in a loving and compassionate and kind way someone said praise the lord all right now i'm going to move quickly here uh when it comes to building the kingdom there is no task that is too small someone said no task too small. Luke 16 and 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Now, here's what I often have when it comes to being involved in the kingdom of God. I often have people come to me and say, well, Brother French, uh, I want to be involved, but I want to pr- preach. I want to be involved, but I want to be used in platform ministry. I want to be involved, but I want to do this, or I want to be involved, and I, I want to sing. And, I, all, and all of that's great. I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. But can I just tell you, there, you cannot escape being faithful in small things first. Many, many people miss out on what God has for them in the kingdom because they are unwilling to be faithful in small things. There is no task that is too small. I don't care how many sermons that I've preached in, in my lifetime, I still feel an obligation when I come into the house of God and I see trash on the floor. I'm going to get down and pick up the trash because I care about the kingdom of God. There's nothing that I am unwilling to do for the kingdom of God. If I have to wash dishes, I want to do it for the kingdom of God because there is no task that is too small when we're committed to the kingdom of God. And so let me just talk to somebody for a moment about 
being faithful in small things. Now, let me, let me take us to this. We need to invest our talents. Someone said our talents in the kingdom. And that means sometimes we invest. Some of us have, some of us begin with, with what we might would think of as smaller talents. Some people have more recognizable talents, but we all have talents to offer. Now, I know that in the scripture, it's talents is talking about uh, uh, silver and uh, things of that nature. But I think that it, that it also applies very well uh, to our, our human talents. And here's what I want us to understand. No matter what giftings you have, no matter how small they may seem, no matter how great they may seem, we have an obligation to invest whatever it is that we have in the kingdom of God. Some people have financial talent, and that means that, that uh, God's blessed you with finance, and, and, and maybe, maybe you are able to bless the kingdom of God in that way. Maybe you have uh, talents for building. Maybe you have talents for creativity and music. Whatever it is, there are talents that you need to invest. And we see, I, I won't take us through this whole story. It's behind me here. We understand that Jesus gave the parable, and there was one man. Jesus, uh, well, the, the man in the parable gave him uh, a, a small amount of talents, and he buried it, and he did not do anything with it. And, of course, there was a terrible consequence for that. When you refuse to invest the talents that God gives you, no matter how small they will be, uh, God is not pleased. Someone said God is not pleased. He's not. And so we need to give our talents to the Lord. One of the saddest things that I see in the church is when I see people who have talents that are sitting on a pew, but they do not offer to the Lord. Invest your talents in the kingdom of God. And by the way, when you do that, when you invest whatever it is that you have in the kingdom of God, God will bless it. Look at the, look at the young child who was willing to give just a few loaves and fishes to Jesus. Look what Jesus was able to accomplish with just a little boy's lunch. We've heard that preached a thousand times, but how true is that? Look at the widow's might. She just gave what she had. And look at how Jesus looked at that. He said she gave more than everybody else. She invested. It didn't seem like much, but the Lord was looking at that. Look at, look at the widow when the prophet came to her and, and said, I, I need you to give me a meal. And it was her last meal. She just had a little oil and a little meal. And she said, okay, I don't understand how we're going to make it, but I'm going to go ahead and give it. And look at how God multiplied that and made sure that she had more than enough throughout the famine. Whenever you invest what you have in the kingdom of God, and I'm not just talking about finances although it does include finances, God will bless it and multiply it and he will use you for the kingdom of God. Someone said, praise the Lord. All right, this is my last point and uh, I want us to get this very, very strongly. Number one, we should always be kingdom first, not me first. Someone say that. Kingdom first, not me first. This is where churches often get in trouble when, when, when people become in competition, ministries get in competition, it becomes a personality show. That's not what God intends for the church to be. God does not intend for the church to be about personality or, or just having a charismatic, outgoing uh, smile that attracts people. Or even I'm, I'm for wonderful music. I want lots of talent. All of those things are great. But the church is not about just putting on a performance and putting on a good show. The church is not about any one person or any group of people. It is about the kingdom of God. And so everything that we do has to be about the kingdom of God. Look at Philippians 2 and 3. Can we read this out loud? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem the other better than himself. 
That's a lot easier said than done sometimes, isn't it? But it, it takes a conscious effort sometimes to esteem others above ourselves. Look at Romans 12 and 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. It's a very powerful thing when a church gets a hold of the spirit of preferring one another above themselves. Young person, when you have a spirit where you put elders ahead of yourselves, that is a powerful thing to cultivate in your life right now. And can I just say this? I know it's Wednesday, and I know all of, most of our young people aren't here. Maybe they'll listen to it on the podcast. Let me just say, if you will learn to have a respect and a preference for your elders right now, it will bless your life. It will bless whatever ministry area that you go into. You cannot be pleasing to God if you do not honor your elders. Someone said, praise the Lord. You cannot be pleasing to God until you honor others above yourself. There is no such thing as being right with God and having a proud spirit or a vain spirit that is constantly trying to exalt yourself above someone else. But when we are always looking for ways to, to lift someone else up. By the way, when you have a spirit that lifts someone else up, people will in turn, they will want to lift you up. Did you know that? When you have a spirit that wants to help others be lifted up, people will recognize that and they'll be blessed by that. And then they'll turn around and they'll want to bless you in return. It's give, uh, it's do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself. It's a very powerful thing when you get a hold of it. But when you're constantly trying to get in the limelight and push yourself out in the front, God is never pleased by that. And it always brings disunity to the body of Christ. And the greatest asset that the church has the greatest power source that we have, the greatest thing, the thing that causes hell to tremble the most is when the church is unified in purpose, when the church is unified in mission, when the church is unified in humility, when the church is unified in, in its dedication to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to righteousness. When we come together in unity, preferring one another, it will begin to set loose revival and evangelism and power. God will be pleased. The Holy Ghost will begin to be poured out as never ever before. I don't know about you, but I am hungry and thirsty for the Holy Ghost to be poured out at Apostolic Tabernacle as never, ever, 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 ever before. Now listen, stand with me. I'm closing. Churches go through seasons. We, there's times for planting. There's times for harvesting. There's times for weeping. There's times for joy. There's times for sorrow, as Ecclesiastes 3 says. There's time for all of those things. And so sometimes a church will go through a season of harvesting. Sometimes it will go through a season where you're planting. And, and by the way, many times it's during the planting season. How many know that planting is hard work? Whether you're a farmer working in a field or you're a church trying to plant seeds of the gospel, it can be exhausting. But I believe, and I've been praying about this for a while. We went through a harvest season about a year ago, and we've had a little bit of that, but we've been planting a lot lately. And I know that that can bring a weariness sometimes. But can I just tell you in the Holy Ghost, this has been, this has been on my heart. I believe that we are very, very, very close to a time of harvesting, a time of reaping. God is about to start filling people with the Holy Ghost. I don't just mean one or two people. I mean, God is about to start filling 
people, dozens of people with the Holy Ghost for the very first time. That ought to be something that we pray for every day. That ought to be something that we're believing God for. That ought to be, we shouldn't be complacent about that. We should be longing for the Holy Ghost to be poured out on lost people. But not only that, we should be praying that God would renew us in the spirit. The Apostle Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. You know what he was saying? It's important that we're refilled with the Holy Ghost over and over and over and over again. It's not the will of God for you to speak in tongues one time at an altar and then never speak in tongues and never have a refreshing. I realize that the Holy Ghost is more than just speaking in tongues, but you need to have a good old-fashioned renewing of the Holy Ghost over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It ought to be something you pray for, you seek after. It's a powerful thing. And I believe that God is about to do it. Here's what I'd like us to do in closing. I'd like us to just stretch out our hands and I'd like us to pray, number one, that God would renew us. Then I'd like us to pray that God would save lost souls. And then I'd like us to pray that there would be an infilling of people in these altars over the next few months. Dear Lord Jesus, we love you tonight, God. I pray that you would revive my heart. I pray that you would send revival to me. I pray that you would give me a mindset of evangelism, Lord. I pray that I would be an evangelist everywhere that I go. Not just behind this pulpit, God. Not just when I'm teaching and preaching. But God, I pray that everywhere that I step foot, that I would be an evangelist. I pray that you would give the spirit of evangelism to every member of Apostolic Tabernacle. That they would preach the gospel everywhere that they go, God. I pray that you would raise up harvesters, if Lord, soul winners, God. It would Lord, make a difference for the kingdom of God. Me. Raise up young kingdom builders, God, that would have a mindset take my hands, that loves Lord, the lost. Take my feet. I pray that you touch our world, save our touch world, my heart, Lord. Speak Fill me. these altars, Lord. If you can Pour out your spirit in these last Lord, days as never before. We're hungry and thirsty for it. Let's sing this song. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Come on, make this your prayer to the Lord right now. Take my hands, Lord, take my feet. Touch my heart, Lord, speak to me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. One more time. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Oh, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord, take my feet. Touch my heart, Lord, speak to me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. They're going to sing that one more time. You're dismissed. Find three or four people and shake their hand. Tell them you're an evangelist everywhere that you go. Shake someone's hand and tell them you're an evangelist. Reach somebody for the gospel. You're dismissed. God bless you. Take my hands, Lord. Take my feet.
can use me. Take my hands, Lord, take my feet. Touch my heart, Lord, speak to me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord, take my feet. Touch my heart, Lord, speak through 